About six minutes now after the hour of nine o'clock. Time for our Phelps Health Program, and your host is uh, Paige Heitman today. Good, Paige. good morning, Lee. How are you? Good. Uh, good to see you again. Yeah, good to be here. Um, this is my first program for 2021. I'm uh, filling in for summer right now. We've been trying to split it up a little bit, so I'm really glad to be here for our Ask a Professional program. Today we have Dr. Brian Creedy, who's an ENT or ear, nose, and throat physician and medical director of surgical services with the Phelps Health Medical Group on our program today. Welcome back, Dr. Creedy. Always glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're super excited to have you. So I know we always really like to start these off with you telling us a little bit about yourself. And we recently had you on, but go ahead and just give us a short overview of what you do at Phelps Health. Sure. So um, I've been living in this area for about the last 10 to 11 years now. I was originally in the Army and got stationed at Fort Leonard Wood during my time there. Started started to help cover call at the hospital and was eventually offered a job and we decided to stay in the community. So I've been at Phelps Health full-time since 2014 and since that time have become more involved in hospital leadership and uh, as you mentioned my current role as a medical director of, uh, of surgery. But I also keep a fairly busy um, ear, nose, and throat and allergy practice here in town as well. So, Great. Thanks so much for that overview. So as par for course, we've been talking a lot about COVID-19 vaccinations, and we're going to continue to talk about that today. So as we learn more about the trajectory of COVID-19, what do we know about how individuals' needs are following the acute period of illness? So this is a very interesting and developing topic. Uh, there's a lot of anecdotal um, results out there with people saying, hey, I'm having these weird symptoms after my COVID. What's, what's going on? Well, it turns out there is actually something that, uh, that goes on afterwards that's actually been fairly common. So what we're finding is about 10% of folks that recover from the initial acute infection develop some, some form of a long-term um, issue. So there's really no real definition for this yet, but uh, there was an article that came out uh, earlier this month in the British Journal of Medicine that tried to define it a little bit better. They talk about a post-acute COVID-19 syndrome, and they define that as uh, symptoms that persist beyond three weeks of your initial onset of symptoms. And then they also define a more chronic uh, type of infection, which you're having symptoms 12 weeks after the initial infection. Um, given the prevalence of the infection and the fact that, hey, 10% of people are having problems after, the, after they've recovered, this, this is going to be a fairly large problem and something worth, worth talking about for sure. What's the difference between the, you know, post-acute and then the people who have like those really long-term, like 12-week recovery period? What What's the difference between that? Is it like their age? Is it how severe their infection was? So that's the interesting part. It doesn't seem to really depend on the severity of your infection. Some of these uh, folks that were essentially non-symptomatic developed some of these symptoms mm -hmm. down the road as well. So it's it's kind of interesting. Um, it remains a mystery uh, for, for some folks, but there's some fairly common symptoms that uh, you can run into uh, with this to say, hey, maybe maybe there's something going on here. Maybe I did have this. So something else that I've found to be really interesting, and this has happened, you know, with some of my family members in the community, is people have had prolonged recovery. So after that, like, two-week period of your infectious, you have COVID-19, are they still contagious? Do they Can they still test positive if they're still having symptoms of COVID-19? So that's an excellent question, and there's a lot of confusion surrounding this. So folks with uh, mild to moderate disease, and those would be the folks that could stay at home and manage their symptoms mm -hmm. um, without having to go to the hospital, there's pretty good evidence to show that as long as you're no longer febrile uh, and you're 10 days out from your initial onset of symptoms, your chances of spreading the disease are relatively low, uh, somewhere uh, around like you know one to one to five percent. So your chances of being contagious at that point, as long as you're no longer febrile, are, are very very low. So you may have the shortness of breath and the fatigue still, but at that point, your chances of spreading it are fairly low. 
Now you can still detect the virus um, in your nose, so if you went and got a PCR swab, uh, you can test positive for up to 12 weeks afterwards. But what the researchers have found is even though the virus is present, it doesn't replicate very well and you're no longer contagious at that point. Okay, so even if you still test positive, are you still able to go back to work at that point in time? So the current CDC recommendations do say that as long as you're 10 days out from symptom onset and you've been symptom free for, I believe it's over 24 hours, you're cleared to go back to work and your chances of being contagious are fairly low. Very nice. That's but really good to know. That, that's barring, you know, mm -hmm. any symptoms, you know, the fatigue and, and the shortness mm -hmm. of breath may still be an issue for you. So yeah. I mean, you have to have to be medically cleared, not just cleared from the infection. So Okay. So if people have recovered, like after that 10 day period, I'm thinking about um, myself specifically after that 10 day period, I immediately went back to the gym, right? Because I was super gung ho. Mm -hmm. I'd been quarantined for 10 days and I needed to get out and do something active, right? <laughs> As we all do. Yeah. So the first thing I did is went back to the gym and it kicked my butt. So and you noticed some issues with yes that. and i was out for like four days after i did that so after being quarantined for you know x amount of time should people go back to just the normal lifestyles or should they work back up to that so uh the answer is it depends so some of the more common symptoms that you're going to see with some of these long-term symptoms include things like fatigue continued shortness of breath, cough, believe it or not, joint pain, mm -hmm. uh, chest pain. Some people describe a burning in their chest afterwards for, for months afterwards. Um, the brain fog's a big one. I've had a lot of people talk about, hey, I just, I just couldn't function for a week or two afterwards. I couldn't think straight. I couldn't keep my mind straight. Depression, muscle aches, headaches, um, intermittent low-grade fevers can continue to pop up. Um, and then palpitations is another common one. I've been hearing some rumblings about that, especially with folks in the hospital that, that have had that. Um, so the biggest uh, thing with that is it depends on your situation. If, if you just can't even get up out of bed and walk across to go to the bathroom, you probably shouldn't be going to the gym. You need to take it slow. Um, and I would recommend if you're having those symptoms, you know, at least give your doctor a phone call saying, hey, something doesn't seem right. And, and perhaps they can give mm -hmm. you a more measured workout program to where you can work yourself back into it slowly. Mm -hmm. But that, that would be my recommendation. Yeah, great recommendation. I remember I um, started doing cardio and I was on the stair climber and I was about five minutes in and my first thought was, man, I can't breathe. Maybe I should stop. Right. <laughs> so great recommendation. Um, I do want to backtrack for a second. Whenever you say palpitations, what do you mean? Just for our listeners. So that's kind of when you feel, uh, I, I've never had this, so I can't describe it myself. But uh -huh. A lot of people describe it as kind of a fluttering in the chest. Or mm -hmm. You just feel like your heart's just pounding out of your chest and, and beating really, really fast. Um, that's a sign that you're mm -hmm. having a change to your heart rhythm. And uh, it's it's one of the symptoms you can see in some of the long-term long things. Now, um, I don't want to just write that off to say, hey, that's normal, probably nothing to worry about. Mm -hmm. If you have that, you probably should contact your doctor because there can be some more serious side effects with this. Whenever you say serious side effects, do you mean like heart concerns, heart conditions? Right. So this is where it becomes a little bit more concerning in folks that have underlying medical conditions. They're at high risk for developing things like uh, inflammation of the heart muscle or pericarditis. Uh, you can have lung function abnormalities to where you just can't breathe right for you know prolonged mm -hmm. periods of time. It can cause kidney injury. Um, we talked about some of the neurologic things, but one of the big things we've seen with this is loss of loss of smell and taste kind of comes on with that. Um, depression, anxiety, all, all of those things can be a little bit more serious and, and you need to seek medical attention for those. So one thing you just mentioned that I think is really interesting, specifically because you're an ENT, is loss of taste and smell. And this mm -hmm. was something that I had had whenever I um, contracted COVID-19. Loss of taste of smell is so interesting. Why why do we have that with COVID-19 and how can a virus cause loss of taste and smell? 
So this isn't unique. There's other viruses that cause loss of loss of smell, and typically the taste is affected as well because they're intimately intertwined. With COVID, it's been a lot more common. We've seen uh, in upwards of 80 to 90% of people that test positive for COVID having some sort of smell disturbance. Um, there's been studies done that have demonstrated as much as 95% of people have some sort of uh, damage to their sense of smell. Fortunately, uh, for the vast majority of people, it's short-lived. It typically recovers within, within a week or two. But what we found is with COVID in particular, it affects some of the supporting cells um, that uh, supply nutrients and so forth to the nerves in your nose that help you develop your sense of smell. So when those supporting cells uh, are affected, there is some uh, temporary damage to the, to the sensory nerves in your nose, so you lose your sense of smell. Um, usually with viral induced, uh, we call it anosmia or uh, loss of smell, the, the taste disturbance is typically related to the smell disturbance, but in this case, the sense of taste has been uh, affected um, as well, separate of the, uh, the, the sense of smell. Um, fortunately, this isn't a long-term problem for most, but uh, upwards of 5% of folks have some prolonged loss of smell, and some people even have permanent uh, damage to it. How do we cope with loss of taste and smell? Because, you know, we eat every day, we cook right. every day. So, unfortunately, unfortunately, like most damage to, to nerves, um, it just takes time to recover if it's going to recover at all. Um, there has been some research to show that, uh, believe it or not, uh, a form of uh, sniffing or smell rehab where you go through a regimented uh, program of smelling certain smells at certain times throughout the day can retrain the brain to learn how to smell. Um, I won't say it's a hard science, but it's something we've been we've been using, and there's not much more we can do outside of that. There are other causes uh, of this. Don't get me wrong; COVID is not the only thing that can cause loss, a loss of smell. There are some more serious things you should be concerned about. Um, folks that have severe allergies or nasal polyps will often oftentimes have decreased airflow through the nose, so that can certainly affect your sense of smell. Um, there's certain forms of cancer um, that can cause this as well. Um, so if you've had COVID, you've lost your sense of smell. That's probably what the result was, but if you're not sure that you've had COVID and this develops and it doesn't come back, it definitely needs to be checked out. So whenever you talk about this sniffing regimen, this type of therapy, what are some of those smells that you guys utilize? Uh, we use different uh, essential oils uh, and so forth, and there's different programs um, out there. Um, and, and so it all depends on the physician. Mm -hmm. Like I said, there's no hard science to back this up yet, but it's the best thing, um, that we have right mm -hmm. now. So, yeah, that's kind of what I thought is I, I would probably use essential oils or if I couldn't taste, I remember when I couldn't taste, I accidentally always used too much cayenne pepper, right. which I traditionally use anyways. And my food's always too spicy. Um, whenever we have COVID-19 and we have that loss of taste, can it change our taste buds at all whenever Absolutely. we get that back? Absolutely. Um, most people will recover, like I said, but some, some people have, have permanent change. And, and some people, I, I've noticed this in a couple of patients that have come in to see me already, some people will be doing fine for a while. They'll lose their sense of taste, their sense of uh, smell will go away, and then it recovers. And a couple months down the road, they notice things change. Things that used to smell good to them are now noxious and they, they really can't stand it anymore. Um, and this is a little bit more, more dangerous than people would think. If you can't smell, you, you know, you have to realize that, hey, if there's a fire in the building, I may not be able to, to realize that. I mean, it's one of our uh, senses that we need to help protect us, and it can be potentially dangerous. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I also think of a gas leak, right? Oh, you yeah, wouldn't, exactly. wouldn't be able to tell. That's exactly right. Yeah, that is, that's really concerning, and they should definitely um, schedule an appointment with you to, to figure that out if that's something that's of concern to them. So something else that I think we often don't think about with COVID-19 is ear infections. Mm -hmm. Is this a common occurrence with people who've tested positive for COVID-19? Uh, I haven't seen that in the literature, and I'll be honest, I haven't seen it uh, a lot in my office yet, but I, I know you and your husband have had, had issues with this yes. uh, yourself. 
Anytime there's a viral infection and inflammation in the upper airway, certainly you can develop an ear infection, but it's not something I've seen a big part of this so far. Mm-hmm. What about other types of auditory damage with COVID-19? Is that common? Is that rare? So that's kind of interesting. I feel like I'm seeing that a lot more commonly now uh, with COVID. Certainly the big thing people think about is the loss of smell, but... Uh, uh, matter of fact, just this morning I saw a patient that uh, feels as though she's lost some hearing as a result. Once again, it's a result of the virus uh, getting into the uh, nerves that supply your hearing and into your cochlea and, and oftentimes causing some permanent damage there. A, a viral-induced hearing loss in our realm is considered an emergency that can be improved uh, many times with steroids, but if it's not addressed within the first week or two, your chances of recovery go down quite a bit. So it's an important thing to keep an eye on. So some symptoms that would suggest, hey, I'm having some hearing loss, because oftentimes it's hard to tell, uh, would be ringing. If you start having this ringing in your ears and you can't figure out where it's coming from and it doesn't go away after a day or two, that needs to be looked into uh, and, and pursued. So whenever you talk about this ringing, is that something that is consistent? Does it come and go? What, what does that look like or feel like? Right, so it varies uh, from person to person, but uh, what we typically find is it's typically high-pitched, not always. It can be a low pitch. Some people describe it as a machine roar. Um, some people describe it as it sounds like locusts outside when, you know, in the summertime, you know, in the evenings when you can hear that sort of thing, um, or, or crickets. Uh, but typically it's high pitch. It's typically worse in quiet environments when there's no background noise uh, to drown that out. Usually it's constant, um, and that's that's typically what we'll see in that instance. And I said that's a sign that you've had some nerve damage uh, and, and uh, a sign that, hey, you probably should get this checked out sooner than later. Okay, cool. Good to know. So now that we've talked about, um, like, some ear issues and some loss in taste of smell, what are some other, I'm going to call it head issues, that can happen with COVID-19 that people just might not be aware of but are things that they should be thinking about? Gotcha. So I think the, the biggest thing that uh, people aren't uh, aren't really ready for uh, would be some of the, some of the neurologic uh, problems with this. Like I said, it's kind of the, the brain fog. We mm-hmm. don't know exactly what causes this. It might be the systemic inflammation and release of all these chemicals that cause inflammation. It might be you know the virus actually getting into the, the central nervous system. So that's certainly something to be concerned about. Um, fatigue is probably is, is by far the most common complaint uh, with this. Um, uh, but you can run into things, like I said, uh, for whatever reason, depression becomes a big part of this as well. I don't know if that's uh, from the, the viral infection, from the inflammation. Is it from all the isolation we've been experiencing? It's a whole host of, of different things you can, you can uh, see with this. But um, uh, if you uh, start having symptoms of uh, facial weakness, you know, people talk about having Bell's palsy with this. Um, that could be a feature of the virus or it could be a sign that you're having a stroke because as many people know with this, you can have vascular disease and blood clots, which lead to stroke. So should you develop anything like uh, unilateral weakness, your face goes numb, your face uh, just isn't working well, that's something that needs to be checked out immediately. What about like migraines or headaches, things like that? If people normally have those, or even if they don't have those and they start having them more frequently, should they go and get those checked out as well? Yeah, absolutely, because uh, as I said, one of the uh, big consequences of this virus are you know uh, blood clots that you typically wouldn't experience. Mm-hmm. So they can be um, major concerns. Um, chances are it's probably related to the inflammation and the infection and it, you know, major migraines progress a little bit, but it's something that should be investigated. Now, will that inflammation that you're talking about as, um, COVID-19 people who've had it as they go throughout the year, 
will that inflammation go down or is that something that kind of stays stagnant? Uh, more to come on that. We don't okay. know. We don't really know. Mm -hmm. We don't know what's going to happen with these folks that are having symptoms, you know, 12 weeks out still, are they going to recover? Mm -hmm. You know, will they slide into, you know, something like a chronic fatigue syndrome that we've seen with some of the other uh, uh, viral illnesses? Mm -hmm. We're just not sure yet. Okay. What about people with comorbidities such as like diabetes, hypertension, kidney disease? What type of like post-COVID care should they seek? Should they even be seeking care right now or should they just kind of wait and see what happens? Uh, what I would say is if you're feeling well, not having any problems, my, my guess is uh, you're probably doing fine. So, but it's just like if COVID wasn't around. If you're having mm -hmm. chest pain, go get checked out. There's a good chance you're having a heart mm -hmm. attack. You'd certainly be at higher risk for that with this. Um, if you've got COPD or underlying lung problems and you feel like your breathing's gotten worse, you need to go get that checked out. That needs to be evaluated. It doesn't change the fact that you still need to be seen. The workup is exactly the same, but it, it may increase your chance of things like that. So, You know, that also made me think of things that we're still doing in light of COVID-19. We still have restrictions in place, right? That's correct. But that doesn't mean our hospital's not safe. Our hospital's probably safer now than, it, than it's ever been before, correct? Uh, I would say so. It's It's been, so around Thanksgiving, uh, we were probably at our peak um, at the mm -hmm. hospital. We've seen, we've seen a steady uh, steady decline since then. I'm not saying we're not busy. Uh, mm -hmm. At any given moment, we've got anywhere from 30 to 40 patients in the hospital and the ICU is typically about half filled with COVID patients, but we are in a much better spot than we were even just uh, just a month ago. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah, but it's still safe to come here, receive oh, absolutely. care. Absolutely. Yeah. We've, we've got uh, um, some pretty uh, strong safeguards in place mm -hmm. and uh, I, I would feel completely comfortable with my family coming in and I wouldn't have any problems with that. Awesome. So at what point should somebody seek medical care for continued symptoms? How long do they let these symptoms go on? Does it depend on their symptoms? So some things to uh, keep in mind is if you have worth, wor worsening breathlessness, if you just feel like you can't catch your breath and mm -hmm. you just can't manage at home, it's time to get checked out. A lot of people have these uh, pulse, pulse oximeters or oxygen monitors at their house. If you notice your levels are getting below, you know, like, uh, you know, 92, 90%, you probably should go get checked out unless you've already been seen and, and you know, you've got known COVID. Um, unexplained chest pain, that needs to be evaluated. You could be having a heart attack. It could be related to your cough. It's hard to say. Any new onset of uh, confusion, that should be concerning. Like I said, you know, strokes have been a little bit more common with this. Facial numbness, facial weakness, things like that. And any type of uh, focal weakness, if you develop a, a facial weakness, or if you notice, hey, my right hand just doesn't seem to be working well, you need to go get checked out. Great. And how can people prioritize daily tasks when they're recovering from COVID-19? You know, some people may live alone or might have to return to work more quickly than others to support families. They might even be a page and, you know, might want to go to the gym the day after they're out of quarantine. <laughs> so I think what you can do is, is develop kind of a progressive schedule. Start slow, um, you know, take it uh, a week at a time, you know, do I'm going to do 25% of what I was doing, you know, before this hits. Do that for a week or two if you're doing fine. Uh, bump it up to 50% uh, the next, you know, two to three weeks after that and so on and so forth. And probably the best advice uh, would be, like I said, speak with your physician. They can they can give you um, mm -hmm. a program that they, they feel uh, would be safe for you. Great. And, you know, you kind of just mentioned this, but I'll give you a chance to restate it again. Are there any recommendations for conserving energy? According to the CDC, and you've even mentioned this, fatigue can be a long-term side effect of COVID-19, and it appears, it appears to be a, a pretty popular one among people who've had COVID-19. Right. Well, this isn't going to be news to anybody, mm -hmm. but uh, getting enough sleep uh, is important. Staying hydrated, eating a well-balanced well diet, uh, and, and uh, you know, staying up on your vitamins and minerals are probably the best way to go about this. 
Um, as you mentioned, fatigue is a problem, so exercise can be a problem at first, but work work it, work it into it slow and, and just go at your own pace and, and see how it goes. Mm-hmm. So something I think that's really important to talk about, we've talked about all these symptoms once somebody has had COVID-19 and the long-term effects, but just the experience of having COVID-19 in and of itself can be really frightening and really kind of distorting to people. What are ways that we can help navigate those feelings of being overwhelmed. This is an interesting time, right? We've been inundated with messages from social media and we've been told that, hey, you know, this news channel doesn't know what they're talking about. Well, this one doesn't know what to talk about. So the, re- the reliability of where we get our information from has been a, a real problem lately. What I would suggest is um, trust your physicians, trust the hospital that you see. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they give very good advice. They've researched this extensively and, and kind of know where to go. So that would be number one, find a trusted source. And, and, and in this case, I would say probably the, the person you could talk to most, most easily would be, you know, your, your family provider. Um, mm-hmm. Go and see them. And, and if you're worried, I would, I would talk to them. You know, stay connected to family and friends. Um, things are improving now that the vaccine is out. Matter of fact, I, I believe my parents are getting vaccinated next week. Um, I've been through both rounds of my vaccination, so um, I'm good to go as far as that goes. So we can start reconnecting and start visiting with these folks um, again. You know, do activities that you enjoy. Go out, take a walk, you know, relax, uh, find something that you like to do. Um, don't be too hard on yourself if you find that you're fatigued. It's, it's not unusual. And, uh, you know, focus on things you control. You can control like your diet and, and, and getting enough sleep. So you just mentioned that you've been through your second dose of the of the COVID-19 vaccine. Yes. Why do you feel like that's something that's really important? So uh, way back when this all started, there was this talk about, well, let's just let this thing pass through the population. We'll get herd immunity and this thing this thing will go away. Unfortunately, the cost of that uh, is is really high. We're seeing that now. I think we're well over 400,000 deaths in the United States and mm-hmm. we've got somewhere around 10 to 15 percent of folks infected. Um, what the vaccination allows us to do is it allows us to develop herd immunity without the cost of hospitalizations and, and death uh, mm-hmm. and so forth. So uh, right now we're in the uh, throes of uh, tier 1B in Missouri. So essentially we've offered vaccines to all the patient-facing uh, health care workers. They, for the most part, those that wanted have been vaccinated. And I think we've delivered over 1,000 vaccines to um, the, the, the folks mm-hmm. that work at the hospital. And then we've moved on to essential workers now, um, you know, uh, electrical workers, uh, police, fire department, people that we need to uh, continue to function and, and for emergencies. Uh, and pretty soon we'll be rolling out the vaccines for uh, higher risk folks, folks over the age of 65, those with chronic conditions, things like that. So this is important and this, this, how this, this is how this ends. This is how we, we get rid of all these masks. This is how we get to start to meet again. Go to concerts, go to church without worrying about this. Yeah, I love what you just said. This is how this ends, right? This is the beginning of the end, I think. Um, And something else that I think is really cool to mention is people who've had COVID-19, they should get the vaccine, right? Absolutely, because we're not sure how long immunity lasts. Um, Right now, the CDC recommends that uh, your chances of catching it again uh, 90 days after infection are relatively low. But we don't know much more after that. And I would recommend if you've had COVID-19 to get the vaccine. Absolutely. So we have time for um, one more question. What are some types of self-management that people can practice when they're recovering from COVID-19? So keep an eye on your breathing. Like I said, if you notice increasing breathlessness, um, that's time to go get uh, checked out. Um, if you've got the ability to check your oxygen levels with a pulse oximeter at home, that's a, that's a good thing to do. But don't dwell on that. Don't keep it on your finger 24-7. Your symptoms will let you know um, when you're having problems. Rest, relax, get some sleep, um, and do your best to recover. 
uh, self-paced, gradual increase in exercise like we talked about, um, and just kind of pay attention to you know eating a well-balanced diet. And uh, I think eating well and, and resting are, are the key, and then working yourself back into normal activity slowly. Perfect. I think that's a great way to end our show. Today, we've been speaking with Dr. Brian Creedy, an ENT or ear, nose, and throat physician with the Phelps Health Medical Group. Dr. Creedy is currently accepting new patients. To schedule an appointment, call 573-364-5719. If you missed part of the show or would like to listen to it again, please visit phelpshealth.org. Thanks so much.